have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, as you do that, I've been, um, since probably a little bit before uh, Easter, I started reading uh, a book by Tim Keller called Hope in the Time of Fear. Uh, and so this is part conversation I had earlier this week with uh, a couple of guys uh, and part Tim Keller and part lots of other things that have been going on. I really, that, that book has probably been the most thoughtfully invigorating book I've read this year. Uh, so if you want to explore the idea of resurrection more, which is what we're going to do this morning, I invite you to, to, to get a copy of that. Now, our scripture reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, and this is um, kind of the end of chapter one where he's moving into a prayer for the Ephesians and a prayer for you and me. Uh, so this is what he says, starting at verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses, transgressions, and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is not work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come this morning and ask that you would give us eyes to see uh, what Paul has prayed for us, uh, that we would be... Um, that we would be able to see the power of the resurrection, um, not just as some theoretical thing that happens at the end of history, but as the very power of God that is at work in our lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, my family and I uh, got to go to Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida. Anybody been there? All right, yes. So uh, now if you know anything about Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida, you know that it is also uh, referred to as Harry Potter World. Um, and so we were online, my kids went online and they saw the, the, map, uh, the map of the park. Uh, we even geeked out on our way to the park. And you know that there's actually like a Harry Potter quiz you can take 
that tells you what house you're in and what Patronus you have. If none of this means anything to you, it's okay. It's all right. We will pray for you. Um, what we, um, we, we did everything. My kids even got these special wands that you could get that when you're in the park and you use them, different things happen in the park. Uh, so we did all of the research that we needed to do in order to be able to, to get ready to go to Universal Studios. Um, but none of that actually prepared us for what we experienced. Because when we walked into the park and it was this like cold, dreary February day, which is not a very common thing in Central Florida, uh, this cold, dreary uh, February day, and it was like we had been magically transported to this mythical place called Hogwarts and Diagon Alley and all these places. It was amazing. Like, it was so good that my wife said, it was like, this is way better than I thought it was going to be. Um, now, uh, what happened is we had to go into the park in order to move from a brochure-level knowledge of the park. Right Before we went in, we knew. We knew the rides we wanted to go to. We knew where we were going to eat. We knew that the wands did certain things. But it wasn't until we were in the park that we moved from a brochure-level knowledge to a knowledge that was deeply satisfying. Paul wants us to move from, he wants the eyes of our hearts to be in light. He wants us to see, he wants us to move past a brochure-level knowledge of the resurrection to a knowledge of the resurrection uh, that is from the inside. One that's not just deeply satisfying, but one that is life-transforming. That's what Paul wants for us. That's what he prays here. He says, I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened in order for you to know the power of God's resurrection that is at work in you. And so what he prays for, and the kind of what we're gonna use as our bridge here for the sermon today, is he wants us to have eyes to see. Uh, four things that we're gonna see. And so obviously there's four, we're gonna go through them fast. Uh, so eyes to see the risen and exalted Jesus, eyes to see our need, eyes to see our union with Jesus, and then eyes to see why it matters. Those are the four things that we're going to look at. So at the beginning, if you look at verses 19 and 20, and we're just going to work our way through the passage, we can't possibly touch on everything that there is to say in this passage. Um, but what we see here is that he says in verse 19, the power that he wants us to realize that we have is the same power that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand. Really quickly, uh, we need eyes to see that Jesus is risen and exalted. Uh, so he is risen. He died and he rose again. This is what we talked about last week, right? Jesus really died and he really rose from the dead. And so he lives forever. But then what happens after the resurrection, he's, he's around for, you know, for that's 40 days. Um, and then he ascends into heaven. He goes up to heaven. And Paul tells us that what happens when Jesus gets to heaven is that God exalts him. We've, we actually sang several songs today that talked about this, that God exalted him. And what that means is that Jesus now sits on the throne. He is king. He sits on the throne and everything has been placed under his feet. So Jesus doesn't just live forever. Jesus reigns forever. 
And we need eyes to be able to see that, that Jesus is presently ruling over everything. And when we say everything, we even mean the, the, uh, the spiritual forces of evil. He says that, he, that Jesus has raised him to above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked. That is language that, that Paul will pick up again later in the book of Ephesians to talk about the, the aspect of spiritual warfare. Jesus is reigning over everything, and he's reigning over everything for the church. That's the first point. The second point is that we need eyes to see our need. And so here we move to chapter 2, verse 1. Um, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Paul, the, the scripture's teaching on our need, the, the scripture's teaching on the good news and the corresponding bad news is very nuanced. Uh, It it is not just this one note. Uh, It really does try to deal with the complexity of what it is that you and I face every day. And we see like we, there's so much that I could say on this. Um, So two things though, two things. First of all, we're dead in transgressions and sins. Now the word transgression is a word that comes from the idea of falling away. So interestingly in Romans 5, where Paul is talking about how Adam and Eve fell from, uh, by eating the forbidden fruit, uh, how they fell away from God. It, it's using this language of transgression. Um, it, it says that there was this path. In essence, the idea is like there's this path that they're on and they fell away from that path. Uh, secondly, Paul uses the language of sin. He says, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. Sin has the idea of missing the mark. Uh, and so what one commentator has suggested is that Paul brings these two ideas together, and in bringing these two ideas together, what he is doing is he is saying there are some ways in which we are prone to sin that are active on our part. We do those things that we were not supposed to do. And there are other ways in which we sin and that we are, um, that we don't do that which we are supposed to do. Uh, the, the technical theological language of this is sins of omission and sins of commission. When you sin of commission is you commit something, that's a little way to remember it. You're, you're actively sinning. You do something you were told not to do. Sins of omission is when we fail to do those things that God has called us to do. And that's the weight that uh, this uh, John Stott uh, says is being carried here. And then on top of that, to add more nuance to it, he says that, Uh, we are under the the ruler of the power of the air. Look at verse two. He says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So here, what he's talking about is Satan. We talked about this a few weeks ago in the sermon that we preached about God's power uh, in the Lord's prayer series. And there, what we saw was that that there is a real personal um, being called the devil, uh, also called Satan, and that his ultimate desire is destruction and that the way he goes about doing that in our lives is through accusation, deception, and temptation. Um, and so we are the condition that we face, right? Um, and this is so, uh, think, of, think of our world, right? Think of, think of what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that the problem that we face is in part inside of us and it's also outside of us. 
Uh, and that makes sense of the world, right? That makes sense of like what's happening in Ukraine. That makes sense of mass shootings. That makes sense of the things that we see around us. We recognize on one level, right? That, that the problem is inside of us, but the problem is also outside of us. And part of the way that scripture talks about that is to say that there is this real, there are these real spiritual forces that are at work seeking to destroy our world and us. That's the level of nuance that scripture gives us. And we need eyes to see that. Uh, We need eyes to move beyond a brochure level understanding of these things. We need eyes to see these things as not just things that happen in the future, but things that are happening now. We need eyes to see. Now, that was all really fast. It's kind of review. Let's get into the meat of what it is that I want to talk to you about today, which is that we need eyes to see our union with Jesus. Now, uh, to, to do that, we see this really fascinating thing. I want you to skip down with me to verse six. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Um, Now, um, what Paul is saying here is that the, the, the work that Jesus does when we put our faith in him is a work of bringing us from death to life. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He says that in chapter two, verse one. But then he says in verse verse four, but because of his love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive. There's this transformation that happens because of faith in Christ. When we put our trust in Jesus, this is what happens. Uh, And so when, when, and remember, who is Jesus? He's risen. So he's already has life over death power. He died and he rose again. And where he's exalted, so all of the spiritual forces of evil are already under his control, under his dominion. You got to remember that, right? Now, what does this mean for us? Can you give me that? That's the, okay. So this slide represents the way that a faithful Israelite understood how things worked out over the course of human history. And what a faithful Israelite believed, if they believed in resurrection, there was debate in Jesus's time about whether or not resurrection was a thing. If you believed in resurrection, you believed that resurrection was something that would happen at the end of time. And so the blue line is this age. And then the faithful Israelite believed that at some point in the future, Messiah would come. And when Messiah came, at that point, God's spirit would be poured out. And at that point, everybody would be raised from the dead. Do you remember the story in John 11 when Lazarus dies, right? Lazarus dies. If you don't know the story, this guy by the name of Lazarus dies and Jesus shows up a few days after he's dead and he is having two conversations. He has one conversation with one sister named Mary and has another conversation with a sister named Martha. And when he's talking to Martha, Martha is struggling with hope and despair. And he says to her to comfort her, your brother will rise again. Do you remember what Martha says? I believe that my brother will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. This was Martha's hope. Can you go back? Go back. Go back to the other slide. That was Martha's hope. I believe that at that point in the middle right there, that that point is a future point. And at that point, my brother will live again. But what Jesus says in response to to that is, I am the resurrection and the life. 
And so what Jesus was saying is that that thing that you think is going to happen in the future, it's actually going to happen in the middle of history. Can you please give me the next slide? So this is what the New Testament teaches us, right? What the New Testament teaches us is that at some point in the middle of history, Jesus came. And at that point, his spirit was poured out. And at that point, the first fruits of the resurrection took place. Jesus' resurrection took place. And then this thing that was completely unanticipated happened. What the faithful Israelite thought would happen in one thing, they come to realize happens in two things. It's kind of like the image of, you know, you see a mountain range from afar and you see these mountains and they look like they're all on top of each other. But in reality, there's a valley in between. And that's in essence what was happening. They were looking and they were seeing. So Jesus is raised, Jesus rises from the dead, right? Jesus is exalted. And that's what's happening in that orange line at the top. You and I live on the blue line on the bottom. But here's the thing. There's this future reality where Jesus is going to come again. And in that second coming, in that second coming will be our physical resurrection. You and I live in the time in between the first and second coming of Jesus. And the prophets called that period of time, the last days. So we have been living in the last days. So I know some of you, that's going to like set off bells on certain things. Put everything that you think you know about the last days off to the side for a second, okay? Um, And we have been living in the last days since Jesus' ascension. And so we are waiting for the age to come while we presently live in between the first and second coming of Jesus. And theologically, we call this, you ready for this? It's really important. We call this the already and the not yet. So what does that actually tangibly mean for us? What Paul is telling, I have to read this, I want to make sure I say it right. What Paul is telling us in this passage Uh, And what he has talked about in several other places, and this is not just Paul, this is Jesus talks about this as well, is that you are already, you and I, if we have faith in Christ, we are already raised with Christ. So there's a spiritual reality on that orange line that is already true of you. Even though we have not yet experienced death Jesus hasn't come back yet, and we haven't been physically raised from the dead. So this is why Paul can say in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, you have been raised with Christ. So therefore, set your heart on things above. So on one level, you and I, from one vantage point, you and I are already experiencing resurrection, The power of resurrection is already at work in you, even though it is not yet at work in you in all of the fullness that it will be when Jesus comes back for a second time. By the same token, right? In this present life, we still, because Jesus has not yet returned, you and I still face accusation, temptation, and deception from the devil. But you realize that because that's, the top line is true, because, because the, 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 the promises of new heavens and new earth are already coming into this world, 
you and I are already seated next to Jesus. Now, where is Jesus seated? Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And because he's at the right hand of God, all spiritual forces are under his dominion and rule. To God be the glory. Amen. Absolutely. And so, yes, there are accusations and temptations that you and I may face. But here's the thing, that that our ultimate destruction will not happen. And that scripture says that we will actually sit in judgment over the spiritual forces of evil. Yes, this is huge. And so here's the reality, right? So often we live as if resurrection is a brochure. One day in the future, I'm going to get to go there. One day in the future, I'm going to get to experience this. One day in the future, Jesus will come back. And there's truth in that. But the reality is that that's not the whole picture. You and I are already experiencing these realities in our lives. And so this is why it matters. Last thing, eyes to see why it matters. What made that day at Universal such a wonderful experience was that we were living inside the story. Um, If you're familiar with the novels, um, there's a scene in one of the later books, I think it's the last book, where uh, there's this magical bank called Gringotts, and there's this dragon that comes out of the magical bank, and it's on top of the building, and it's breathing fire. So if you go to Universal, it's probably one of the, the, you know, if you think of like iconic images of Universal Studios floor, it's, this image is one of them. So if you're on the street below, when that dragon breathes out fire, you feel the heat of it on the street. Like it is actually really rather amazing how well that, that, that scene gets played out, right? You, you walk to a certain place and you have these little signs and you take that, you know, expensive wand that you bought and, uh, and you, you know, do these little flicks. And in some places, depending on the wand that you bought, the magic that you see is different, right? Like you, you are inside, like we ate at the three broomsticks. I mean, come on, we had butterbeer, right? Um, that's how immersed we were in the experience. Paul says in chapter two, verse 10, he says that you've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. Now notice what he says, you've been created in Christ. That is language, that's resurrection language, right? Part of resurrection is that we are made a new creation. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. And so the orange line of that slide, the orange line says that we can now in this life, we, can, we are living in it, right? Not completely, right? We still live in a fallen world. We still have to deal with all the ramifications of sin. There are still wars. There are still mass shootings. There are still all these things that we deal with. But we deal with those things, not simply looking at a brochure and saying, man, one day, won't it be nice? we can go to the park. Man, wouldn't it, won't it be nice? We can, we can get to new heavens and new earth. But we already can begin to, exp- not we can, we are, we already are experiencing the realities of the new heavens and the new earth in this life. Can I please get an amen? <laughs> All right, thank you.
Amen, right? Uh, right, exactly. We are, we are experiencing some of the realities of the new heavens and the new earth. All right, now, so what does that look like, right? So in part, it looks like a great meal where you have friends over, right? I mean, we, we, can, we can spiritualize this, and there is certainly an element of that, right? The deeds done in mercy, reading scripture, like that is part of this resurrection life. But Eugene Peterson in his book, A Practice Resurrection, says this, the resurrection of Jesus establishes the conditions in which we live and mature in the Christian life. And so the normal rhythms of our lives are rhythms that are infused with resurrection, right? So the meal that we have when we have somebody over, the words that are spoken in kindness to another person, the way that we show up to our classroom or to our office or to wherever it is that we go on a Monday morning, right? The, the way in which we stop and, and enjoy the sunrise over the Lagoon Mountains or the sunset over the Pacific Ocean, the way that we delight in a hummingbird feeding by a flower, right? The way that we do all of these things are ways in which we live out the reality of resurrection and we delight in a God who is already making all things new. So you, we pray, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, that is in his, you're on earth as it is in heaven. How does that happen? Resurrection. So you see, resurrection is not just something that we celebrate once a year. Practicing resurrection is something that is the, the fabric of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. But we need eyes to see it. We need eyes to see that it is not some future reality and that all we get right now is this brochure called the Bible and this brochure called the Bible is giving us all of this information and one day it's gonna come true. God has already in this ma- amazing, magical thing, he is already infusing this reality with, with hints and glimpses of resurrection power. And brothers and sisters, that's at work in you. You are pictures of resurrection. Like that should blow you away. That that's the, that is what God is working in you. Listen, I love being a Presbyterian, but can you all not be Presbyterians right now and give me some feedback? Like, <laughs> seriously, because, because here's my fear. Like, you know, I'm not saying you're doing this, but like it, this is not an intellectual exercise. I want you to walk out of here not being like, oh man, Omar was really excited today about resurrection. <laughs> Whatever, I get excited about lots of things that are not important. I can get excited about barbecue. I want you to walk out of here and be like, holy cow. What we celebrated last week was more than just this one-off Sunday. I want you to walk out of here and be able to go like, oh my gosh, this is what God has done. I want you to be able to walk out of here and so when you go to work tomorrow, that you recognize like resurrection. You are living resurrection. And and so think of the power of that, right? When we are in a world filled with death, when we are in a world filled with, with all kinds of evil, 
the way that we live our lives, whether it's in the, in the, you know, the more Christian things, right? You know, reading your Bible and prayer and all those things, which are important. I don't, I don't want to diminish those things, but in the simple acts of hospitality and kindness that, that we are showing the world, showing ourselves, we're showing our children who we baptize. We're showing them the promise of the future. That's an amazing thing. And that's how much Jesus loves you. He didn't just say, okay, well, just hang tight until I come back 2,000, 3,000 years later. He gave you his spirit. You read the spirit that you have is the spirit that brought Jesus again from the dead. Resurrection. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't even have words uh, to praise you for what you have done. That you have um, not just used your power to bring your son back from the dead, but that you've already begun to work that out in our lives that you've not only used your power to seat your son on the throne to rule over all power and dominion, but that you have seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Lord, we confess that it is really easy for us to push those things off as future realities, to live as if all that we have is a brochure that we can look at. Uh, And while we recognize that we haven't completely gone into the park yet, we wait for the future for that to happen, that we're already getting tastes of that now. So Lord, I pray for each person here, each each woman, each man, each child, um, that you would this week, that you would allow us uh, to taste and see, uh, to taste uh, and see the, the beauty of resurrection. Uh, that you would allow us, Lord, to walk out of here not with our heads filled with information and graphs uh, and timelines, but our hearts filled with joy. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.